0: Awesome. Well, welcome everybody who's here so far to the weekly Scrimba Town Hall. This is an event that happens every week at the same time, at the same place. Hopefully it brings a little bit of structure to people's weeks as you're learning to code. And I think you'll notice that throughout a lot of our events at Scrimba. So we host these streams on the same specific days and time. We host Twitter spaces at the same specific time. We also release the podcast every Tuesday, a new YouTube video every Monday. We hope that these kind of uh, these kind of this kind of cadence gives you something to look forward to every week and just helps you kind of chug along as you sort of embark on that long path towards meeting your coding goals. The sort of purpose of this session really is to basically share some of the behind the scenes, some of the updates and things we're working on at Scrimba. Some some weeks are perhaps more exciting than others as we're working towards like big feature releases and things, but it's always very interesting to hear what people are working on. Um, Both for us all here on the stage, but equally, I think for people listening, it's really exciting to watch things progress and sort of understand a little bit more about how we how we design and think about all the things we do at Scrimba, whether that's a product update, a course update or something in the community. We're pretty transparent about the way we make decisions and the things we're working on because of two reasons. Like, first of all, our number one goal is to help you find success as you try and learn to code, and, and that could be to become a junior dev, it could be to start freelancing, it could be to start your own product and become an entrepreneur. We, we try and align all our decisions by that, and so for that reason, it's quite easy for us to be transparent. But equally in that same vein, right, like by sharing what we're working on in public, essentially We we hope that you can share feedback with us and give us an impression at least about what's exciting to you, equally, you know, where you're struggling maybe, because that could be an opportunity for us to address your struggle or your question with, you know, a specific podcast episode or with a YouTube live stream, or if it's something in the curriculum, for example, it's not, these aren't the kind of changes we make overnight, but we always listen and try and take these into consideration as we rework parts of the career path or introduce new courses and, and things like that. And so, yeah, like there's a bit of a uh, more intimate, I would say, sort of stage today. Um, unfortunately, Leanne and Michael, nor Perr could make it, nor Cindera for that matter. Um, maybe there's a chance that Della joins us in a little bit, who is part of the engineering team. But I'm very, very happy to be joined by Froda, Tom, and Bob. We're hoping, I think, just to talk a little bit among ourselves about what we've been working on, and hopefully you find that interesting. But of course, if you have any questions early on, just send them in the chat, and just to make sure everybody has their bearings and we have every opportunity to interact and hang out. Um, if you head to the town hall chat channel, it's like a text channel just above this stage. It'd be really cool if you just said hello. It's great to get people typing, You know, make sure everybody knows what everything is. And it's also really cool just to see everybody typing and know that you're here listening with us. So if you could just take a moment to sort of open the app on your desktop, or if you're using your phone, just quickly navigate to the app and just say hello to everybody in the community. So, yeah, just before we jumped in and did the intro, I think, Frodo, you were curious to learn a bit about what Tom has been working on and how things are progressing. So maybe that would be a great place to start, um, because as I understand it, Tom, in the last month and a bit, maybe you've been working and focusing, I think, on making a update to one of the modules in the career path. Just for anybody who doesn't remember or hasn't really learned about this update in previous events. Can you just tell us a little bit about what module you're updating, why you're updating it, and then, yeah, how are things going in general? It'd be really cool to to know.
1: Yeah, cool. So this is module six on the career path. So this is next level JavaScript. The problem at the moment is that some of the courses on there aren't really following the scrimber methodology of having a lot of project-based learning we really want to have the student writing every single line of code so that is why it's being updated and yep i've been working on that now for about the last six weeks or perhaps seven weeks and um it is really really close to coming to to actually being released um we're we've, we've kind of well we said last week middle of February i think that is looking fairly likely or or very likely um so i think i've got two to three more recordings to make and then at that point i just have to go right back through the whole course and start dealing with the various problems you know some problems that i'm already aware of that just need to be ironed out um and then it will be ready for release so yeah not long to go
0: Maybe maybe people would be shocked to learn that to create just one module, mind you, of the I think is it what twelve, thirteen, maybe fourteen now modules in the career path. How, how many are there? Yeah, There's I think there thirteen are. right now. Thirteen, yeah. So to to make just to sort of just update and rehaul just one module, you're talking about close to. i I think 10 weeks or something if you account for like the preparation and forethought that goes in before you start you know breaking down the lessons and stuff maybe some people would be shocked to learn just how long it takes to produce i'm assuming like an hour and a bit of maybe two hours of content
1: right yeah i think it's going to come to probably around the two hour mark um and yeah it does take that long and that even was kind of not from a sort of standing start some of the ideas for in fact quite a lot of the ideas had already been put in place be- before i joined scrimber so i was sort of building on top of other people's work as well so maybe if you started from scratch it, it could take even longer but i think that is how how long it takes uh, it's quite a time consuming process and a-, and a lot goes into it.
0: What's your experience been like, Bob? I've often sort of marveled at the fact that, I mean, I've not made a course on Scrimber, but I've made YouTube videos, right? And tutorials and things. And I I sometimes marvel at the fact that to make like one minute of video content, it probably takes on average, like at least an hour to make that one minute, right? And and, yeah, maybe longer, maybe less, but it's always much longer than what you see as a kind of end user. What's your experience been like with uh, how much time it takes to make an update to a module?
2: Yeah. Well, making anything on Scrimba, I have found for me, takes somewhere around like a 25 to one ratio. So it's 25 minutes gets me one minute of like finished, produced, edited content. Um, and I think it's much more for YouTube because doing video editing is significantly more difficult than doing the audio edits in Scrimba. Um, but even even with the simpler editing and recording process inside of Scrimba, yeah, it's like a twenty five to one.
0: yeah, the the thing about YouTube that's a bit challenging, I think, is that I, i'm I'm actually quite interested because i I don't think you script your lessons, do you, Bob? Like I don't think you like read from a script by any stretch of the imagination.
2: It depends. So there, there are a few, like a lot of the intros and outros I will. um, But other than that, I usually just have like a rough outline.
0: But that's my biggest envy as someone like, I used to make coding screencasts without video. And to be honest, like it never was that conducive to like read word by word from a script in those cases. But when you're making a video, like there is this uh, sort of need almost to stare into the barrel of the camera which means you really have to like prepare a lot in advance and, and think through your points. And I, I do often script the video, but if I if I read the script, it sounds very um magne- mechanical and it just doesn't come across well, I don't think. So I'll often reference the script and sort of improvise it all. But, but basically what that means is that just the recording itself takes a long time because if I stumble or, you know, I, I don't make the point as clearly as I would like, it's an invitation to re-record. And then within the editing, right? Like, you know, <clears throat> sometimes you get a bit creative, and if I maybe had to look at my screen, I'll maybe choose to like edit a slide or an image over it. And so there's a lot of decision making, and overall it gets a bit fiddly. And but but what I can tell you, and and I think this is relevant and interesting, I think to anybody listening, is that I've I've made a weekly video at Scrimba for I think about twelve, thirteen weeks, something like that. I think, I guess I skipped the week over the Christmas holidays, but in the last 14 weeks, I think I've uploaded 13 videos and I write, record and edit them all myself. And, and honestly, I'm getting so much faster. Like I feel like I, I sort of know the lay of the land and I have some productivity things set up. And then it's just true that for anybody doing anything right. And that applies to learning to code as well. You do find your groove eventually, and, and then things get, they're still challenging obviously, but at least you're focusing on the problem you want to solve. Like I wasn't really interested in like fiddling with timelines and creating title slides and things. But once I invested in that, the rest became about just making, you know, the best, best video I can. Um, but it is laborious. It takes a lot of time to edit. Like it's not the funnest job in the world, but it's the end product that's motivating, right? Like I just feel so satisfied when I, when I finish a video. What's your experience like making scrims?
1: Sorry, are you asking me or Bob?
0: Oh, whoever. To be honest, with just four of us on the stage. like I'm really happy okay. to just jump in and cut across and leave ourselves off mute if you want.
1: Okay. I, I mean, I can totally um, understand all of that. I think um, I've found that the learning process has actually gone pretty quickly. I think um, I'm, I'm in quite a different place with it than I was at the beginning just sort of seven weeks ago. I think the... But there are some important thing that's probably changed the most is is the ability well as as bob was just talking about you know it's it's really best if if you don't script too much and you've got most of it just coming from sort of rough notes it doesn't end up like that all the time i think after a while of of making the same mistake on the same sort of few sentences that you just think okay now i'm just going to write this and i'm just going to try and read it in a really natural <clears throat> sounding voice i don't like doing that because i think you can actually hear the difference and it's not ideal but i think sometimes that that is just something that happens but uh absolutely i think um the more you do something obviously the better you get at it and with recording scrims editing scrims and google slides which is something i've had to get my head around um they, yeah, it, it it does just get quicker and, and easier, and then you get more efficient.
0: But I'll, I'll tell you what, and I think this applies maybe more to scrims than it does my videos. I think so much of the time and effort is spent before you even press record, right? And that is devising the structure and thinking about the content of the lesson, and how it fits within the bigger picture. Because if you start with one scrim and work out, therefore, that, that would mean the module evolves quite organically. And then you maybe miss opportunities to lace things together and make it flow beautifully. So I imagine at this point, you're both starting from like a bird's eye view and then scoping in on the specific scrims to to make them fit within that path and and be as good as they can be. But But equally, I think as a teacher, you know, you you are often thinking about the best way to convey the lesson, right? Like, what analogies do you use? What examples do you use to make this as clear as possible? If you start figuring that out while you're recording, you're just going to have to re-record, 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 and, and wear your voice out in the process, I imagine. So, um, it's my assumption, right? Like, you have to spend a lot of time preparing ahead of time before you even press record.
1: For for me, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I've learned to do a lot more preparation to save time later um almost to sort of well amounts at the at the beginning I would have thought ridiculous to spend actually that much time thinking about something which is going to end up being four minutes long but you know it it really does pay dividends when you're trying to uh edit down a scrim that's got monstrously out of control, you, you'll really wish that you had thought about it earlier. And then also when you've got one bit right in the middle and you wish you'd thought of a better analogy earlier or a better way of explaining it earlier or just a, um, a more reasonable example, um, yeah, then then you'd really you, you, you really wish that you had planned it more. So in a way you can't do too much. And um, And in fact, just this last week, I've kind of changed tack a little bit in not just planning one section but planning a whole load of scrims in advance because i always found when i go back to it later there are things i wished i'd done differently and so i just wanted to kind of get to that point before i've actually done the recording and then hopefully end up with a better end product and and i think that is well i don't know because i've been editing the videos today and i haven't listened to them all properly yet but I think it's going to pay dividends. Uh, I'll know more tomorrow. I don't. I don't
0: want to detract from your point too much. But did you just get like two WhatsApp notifications by chance?
1: <laughs> I did, and I've just yeah. muted my phone.
0: <laughs> I don't know if it's for a speaker or the audio device. But I was just checking my phone. Like, what the hell? I'm so confused. Yeah, that I sounded... it
2: sounded something on my side too.
0: <laughs> it sounded so native. I like, I wonder if it was like yeah, I loopback loop or something.
2: So you know, it's a good microphone.
0: <laughs> yeah, good point. What but what about you, Bob? Like, what's your experience been like with this? Like, do you have to put a lot of, you know, thinking into the lesson before you press record?
2: Yeah, I'm the same way. Like, I want to make sure that I come up with the most clear analogies or examples that I can. There's so many times where I've been watching a tutorial, and I'm like, why did they use that lesson? Like, why did they use that app to demonstrate that topic? Because there's 10 other things that someone might not understand about the app they just built, and that's gonna throw people way off. So it's it's really challenging to I mean it sounds counterintuitive, but it's really challenging to make things simple enough to to demonstrate a point without losing it amongst all the other things that there are to learn about about coding, you know, about programming. Um and Yeah, especially when, you know, I like to use visuals when I can. Um, And in Scrimba that really only happens with Google Slides. And so more than once I've been in the middle of recording or even in the middle of editing in a worst case scenario, uh, something that I've already recorded and realized like, oh, this is a terrible uh, slide. Like this slide needs to be improved significantly. And with Scrimba, I can't just go change that slide and like splice in, you know, Part of the lesson, I have to re-record the whole thing, but it's yeah. always worth it. I mean, it takes a lot more time, but it's it's always worth it because with the kind of audience that we have, in the you know thousands or tens of thousands of students, uh, even the most trivially confusing things will throw someone off, and will end up, you know, coming back to me in the form of feedback. That's like this is really confusing.
0: Right. And I, th- I think with the front end career path, like it's something that mm, is, it, I, I, tell me if I'm wrong, like I'm really happy to be wrong about it. But equally, I get the sense it's something that we, we polish quite a lot. And I think whenever you're creating anything, right, as a developer or a content creator of any sort, there is that balance, right, between polishing something and, and releasing it when it's sort of good enough. But I wouldn't be surprised if we took the view that because obviously if you don't understand the scrim, it's really not done its job well enough. And we are genuinely trying to um, provide one of the, one of if not the best educational resource to learn things like React and JavaScript. Um, g- good enough is almost perfect, I feel like. And, and there's absolutely every justification to go back and re-record it or rethink it if that's going to be better for the student ultimately. But whereas in contrast, by the way, with a YouTube video, if there is like a flicker or if I if I stumble or, I, you know, I'm happy to just release it because for, for me, my priority is like, I want to be there every week for our students, right? Like I want every week there to be something new, something to motivate people, something to look out for. And that to me is like what matters as well as creating quality content. So I, I find that balance, but I guess with the career path, there's, there's a bit more liberty to take the time that's necessary to make it as good as it needs to be.
1: Yeah, I think so absolutely. I'm, I'm I'm definitely going to uh be be um taking a few extra days, you know, if that's what's needed if if when I go through everything there are things to iron out. It's it's just um yeah, it just makes sense to do it that way to to not have to, you know, go back to it later when as you say people are giving you feedback which shows that they're not really understanding some part of it. Well, yeah, that that's quite a tragedy, and that is something which is worrying me a lot at the moment. With this being my first scrimber course, so um, yeah, no, I'll I'll definitely be uh, getting it as good as it can be um, within within reason. You know, of course there are going to be odd little bits, but but within reason, um, I'll, I'll be pushing for that.
0: Sounds amazing. I I, honestly, I could talk about this a lot. I mean, the funny thing about the video I just made, coding versus programming, is that for the first time in a while, it's something I really had to think hard about how how to explain. And and I know that because I myself only, this is, by the way, just something I want to tell people listening here in the Scrimba community. I don't exactly want to broadcast it, even though I should. Um, But to be honest, as recently as Four or five days ago, I want to say, I myself found the distinction a bit confusing. Like, I wasn't, like, I knew they were different and I had some inclination about the differences. But when I did a Google search to kind of clarify my thinking, I just wasn't, like, very satisfied with a lot of the posts I found. I didn't really agree with their comparisons and it didn't help me understand. And so I knew that, like, this was an opportunity to do something better, even though I was just sort of learning it. As I was going, right? And I say this for two reasons. Like, the first is that whenever you're tackling a difficult subject to teach. I I totally admire and respect you both for the amount of consideration and thought that takes to explain it clearly and come up with the right analogies and, you know, you know, conveying it in a fun and interesting way that helps people remember what they're learning. Um, But the second thing and the thing I would extend to anyone listening is that, you know, take it from me, like I wasn't an expert on this subject, but I still managed to bring my unique perspective and likewise take some good bits from some of these articles and really make sure I avoided the bad bits, but just caused more confusion than clarity. And in that sense, if you're learning to code and you think, well, I don't know if I can help anybody, or I don't know if I can necessarily write a blog post or something because I'm not an expert you know, it really doesn't matter. You just have to know a little bit more than the person you're trying to help. And I hope I could be like a, <clears throat> yeah, hope, I hope that's a, a good example to give with regards to this video. But as I said, I could talk about this a lot, but I want to kind of make sure we have a good balance here between different subjects. And I'm very thankful for, uh, for you joining us today, as I I know for a fact that you and the engineering team have been working, you know, so hard on so many different parts of the of the website and the platform, uh, as well as Discord. and I'm not sure if, honestly, I'll just jump in where I'm genuinely very excited to learn more. I haven't had a chance to catch up with anybody on the team about this. Um, but if I understand right, is Matthias working on sort of an update to Pumpkin, our Discord bot, to like help with the Nitro links and things like that? Is that something I understood rightly?
3: That is correct. I uh, hope it. it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is a big project and it's, almost shocking that discord isn't fixing this in some way but uh we are close to pushing out uh, that we will block a huge list of like known offender urls and we will scan messages for basically i think what we will do is not allow anyone to write about nitro and have a link like if you're Wanting to make a a legit post that has Nitro and a link in it, you just have to reframe it. Um, We will probably block all those attempts. Um, Because I think that's common. We're also considering if we even make it, uh, push it that far that we scan images for text and see if we can detect Nitro in the image uh, like as as an advertisement uh, and block any links from that as well. Uh, but then it comes the a, a second part of that is like what do we do with offenders because often it's people who have their accounts hacked usually because they don't have two-factor authentication on um and then the question is should we block them or kick them from the server um because it's user it, it is our users or like it's it could be any of you guys really um so as long as we block the links that that, that is the most important and then like if we kick you then it might be hard for you to get in back in. But um yeah I think we will we've ended up deciding that we will kick people as well and you have to get contact help at scrimbo.com or, or something to get back in
0: yeah it's inconvenient right but it's it's worth it to secure everybody else and if am I I, might, I think I understand but unfortunately this is an issue that affects not just the Scrimbo Discord community, but the whole of Discord. And so if you take a user, call them Jill, for example, and they're a member of the Scrimba community and they're a member of some kind of gaming or crypto community, say they click a link in the crypto community, which we have no control over, obviously, that in turn could compromise their accounts in such a way that it could go, a bot or a bad actor could go into the other servers, including Scrimba and then spam Nitro links. Is, am I Am I right in thinking that it's sort of like transcends servers. So we can do our best to protect people within the Scrimba community and stop it from getting any worse. Like we can be the final stop, right? The, the bots or the bad actor could try and spam the Nitro links, um, but probably wouldn't get very far. Um, but but likewise, we can't protect everybody at all costs because obviously you're members of different servers and you know the best thing to do is be diligent.
3: You're correct on that, yeah. I think that's the main source at least is, is people who uh... Are like on different servers and, and follow a link on one of them there is of course an ability people can set up dedicated user accounts that that uh, does that but it I, I imagine is actually more work for the bot runners uh, to do the setting up the, the accounts and stuff themselves rather than like phishing for people clicking on links and it just spreads better so so yeah that is the challenge.
0: So it's a big shame, isn't it? Because like Discord, I think, they have some glaring security issues. Like I think there are ways to buy. I mean, this is not so related to the Nitro things, but maybe more of an indication of how this isn't really a priority for them. But I think in some cases you can bypass two-factor authentication. I, I learned that by doing a password reset or something that can bypass it, but obviously, then, if people are, you know, it, it, there's no throttling at the very least to stop someone from causing so much destruction. I can maybe yeah. understand that sort of filtering based on nitro links could be tricky since it is a pattern at the end of the day. And if you block like a pattern that says, you know, it can't contain the word nitro, then obviously all of the malicious people are going to change the word to, you know, nitro with a zero, for example, or just something completely different at some point. Um, I can understand that a little bit, but they're not doing anything. Like it's quite surprising when it's such a, prevalence and yeah. frankly dangerous issue
3: the things that get past them are like really basic things i mean we've done spam filters for 20 odd years uh so uh, so this is nothing new to do like uh, i think it would be a base bayesian filter <laughs> i don't know how to pronounce it but uh but uh this is a uh, like uh if not solved like a very a topic that has been worked on a lot, how to do uh, variations on words and combinations and do reputation building based on what you have as text. And I mean, these accounts would increase their number of messages drastically from what they had probably before they were hacked. So yeah. to me, it's like, uh, it can't be hard, really. It cannot be hard to detect. <laughs> to teach us about that. Cause I,
0: well, I, I personally haven't, haven't learned about it. And maybe others are wondering too, like, what What is this you described, the, the sort of algorithm or pattern that, that has existed for a while?
3: I think it is actually a mathematic or like ge- mathematic or geographic thing where you use ellipses to calculate things, but that you can apply to text um, and with the Bayesian filter you can then easily put in a list of words you want to detect um, and you get a score if it's uh, well, what you want to detect if it's, uh, you know, uh, spam or not, say. And you get a, a ratio on that, and you can then determine your ra- approved ratio uh, for if it's spam or not. And so that could be the same for the Nitro links. I'm not sure. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it, I'll post the Wikipedia link for it. If, uh...
0: Oh, yeah, please do. I, I guess um, one of the advantages of the way the Discord bot works is that when new members join, we ask you to connect your Scrimba account uh, to your Discord accounts. And the main reason to do that actually is if you go to scrimba.com and you click your name in the top right hand side of the dashboard, you'll, you'll see your karma points that you earned in the Discord community. And you can probably imagine how we could take this even further in the coming quarters or years, say, um, so that you could maybe even earn karma on scrimba.com as well as in the Discord community. But at least then, Further if we have to like um you know regrettably kick someone or ban them because they are their account is compromised, at least we have like their email address and we can let them know what's happening um and and what steps they can take to to restore access to
3: the server Good point we should build that <laughs> has to be built, but uh, yeah we, we do have that and I mean they should notice and and get in touch if they want to uh, get back in as well so it's not like they uh there no way there is no way back in
0: yeah it's been challenging because you you know discord have a rule set that stop you from dming people if you don't have a mutual server and and that's like the most permissive version of that rule set. Some users set up their permissions so that you can only DM them if you are friends on Discord, for example. So so say somebody is privacy conscious and they've really locked down their account. If we DM them to say, hey, your account's been compromised, it gets it gets bounced back. The the message says, this person's only accepting requests from friends. And if you ban them, then you no longer are in the same server. So you can't message them either. So you'd have to do that first. But again, again you're doing it manually as many of us are right now, it's not always easiest to remember um, until you've made that mistake once. So yeah, I mean, the bot just sounds like a fantastic addition to the server and a great way to keep people safe. What other kind of things has the engineering team been working on lately? Anything, any sort of top level, interesting updates you could tease or share?
3: Yeah, there's some fun things happening this week. We are actually, we have a new freelancer, uh, Nathan. Uh, He's been active in our Imba language community. And is actually doing a course on IMBA, the language we're writing everything in. Um, But he's now actually going to help us on the Scrimba site as well. So it's really cool. He's a designer uh, that has learned programming. And that gives him some different perspective than uh, the rest of the team at the moment, which come more from the computer science background of like doing servers and then front-end development afterwards. Uh, so uh, so he'll come in and do a lot of polish. He started yesterday uh, Well, he's in San Francisco, so I guess his morning, my evening, and already shipped or sent out three pull requests, so changes to um, how the, da- the navigation is in the dashboard. He sent some things around uh, how the footer works and stuff like this. So it's going to be exciting to see uh, what he can, uh, yeah, help us definitely on the polish and, and how things work.
0: Oh, my God, that's so exciting.
3: It's really good that he comes also since he's making the Imba course and he's making that on Scrimba, so he also has that teacher uh, experience from using the platform, and that gives him some different perspective than the rest of the developer team as well. So, you know, we try to use the tool, but we haven't actually made a course. That's going to be fun to see what he can come up with
0: it's It's interesting because you didn't once mention while you were praising Nathan his like ability so much as like the fact that he brings some diverse opinions and thoughts to the team.
3: Yeah, yeah, he's also a really fantastic developer so <laughs> he goes goes with different things, but or he he brings a lot of different things, but uh, but that, I think his background is really interesting, coming from more of a design field. He's made some tools in the design space himself, been an entrepreneur. So he has a lot of uh, a lot of different aspects that that he brings.
0: Is there a lesson there for people listening? Do you think?
3: Of course, there is, uh, and that goes from the team in general. Like uh, people come with their backgrounds. So Matthias, one of our developers, come from Skillshare and from a, a company called Code Combat, and has been doing a lot of things in the education space. So he has a deep insight into you know beginners and especially young people getting into to learning and and like how that affects yeah the steps you take and and then interactions and things like this and uh, abdullah is more on the front end and and, and doing uh, interactions and animations and and polish so definitely you know people have different backgrounds even though they're they're the criteria sort of they they fit the criteria of knowing development and, and, and checking off the boxes of things we were looking for, but they have very different skill sets and that is applied in, in what we can work on.
0: Mm. It's interesting, isn't it, how different people take different journeys into tech. That's always fascinated me. Like how how do you become a Java programmer over a C sharp programmer, or or a Ruby programmer over a Node programmer? It's very interesting how, you know, sometimes you can't even really control your first encounter with programming. Like maybe by complete chance, you have a friend who's picked up Ruby and you think, well, oh, Ruby is the only language that exists. You start there and that sets the tone for the rest of your... Well, not your whole career, because you can always change. But in the early days, I think it makes sense you get involved in those communities and ecosystems. And likewise, if you're learning on Scrimba, you're probably very much into JavaScript and React and things like that. And then some people start on the back end when they change to the front end. Some people learn, you know, back end, but they want to learn design. Others, like Nathan, start with design, but learn coding. It's just fascinating, like, how diverse programming is in that respect as well, as everybody has
3: their own path to where they are. Definitely, and... and uh I think it's a lot of your first couple of jobs where you end up going. And if you're not mindful or if you don't if if you like it, then you might not think about that you should you you might have to if you want to change, you might have to put in some spare, you know, put your spare time and work on something you like a different topic, whether it's going from front end to back end or being more like you knowing more about animations or something. Like you have to put in that effort to Uh, be able to get that job where you're doing a different task because otherwise that goes for any kind of job like you you become what you do basically so if you're working on one small part of development all the time that's going to be your field of expertise and that's where you get your next job and that's the people you know and it definitely is a like a reinforcing effect. 100%.
0: 100%. And, and actually, it's interesting because a lot of new developers and people who are new to things in general, they, they have this like strong desire to be an architect and sort of design the perfect path and structure before they even begin, as you must if you're an architect. But really, in practice, everybody is more like an archaeologist. Like you're sort of just going in different places, digging around, you know, discovering things here and there. Maybe you don't find anything, but at least you know not to look there and you move on to something else. And as I say, this is not really a choice. Like I genuinely think in practice, every developer has just responded to their circumstances in some way, which is why I think as a new developer, it's a useful perspective to have that you shouldn't really like stress every direction directional decision you make, um, because you're going to make a lot more, right? There's a lot more decisions to come. And as long as you're aligning by the right thing, which is your goal, essentially, you're going to end up in a good place, I think.
3: Yeah. And then there's the the second level decisions, oh. like uh, after 10 years or something in the field, are you going to go to be a manager or are you going to do education? Or right now, we're we, that's uh, I'm not sure if it's been announced, but we are looking to do cohorts and, and expand that effort. Um, and we need somebody to run the, this as a project or as a product. And the people we're talking to are developers who then can do the role of project management, but they won't be programming. So that's sort of a decision. And some people have said that like after thinking about it, they want to keep on being a developer. And that's totally legit. I would have done probably the same, um, but it, it is some do- dilemmas you have as you go along in the path.
0: And nothing's ever like really that permanent. Is it like um, you might go the education route for a little bit, but then you, you're so inspired by everyone's success coding for, and, and their enthusiasm and how much they're enjoying it that you want to do that again for a bit. I'm sure there are in this in this year more than ever I haven't read many of these books yet but I understand from podcasts and Twitter and things but like that there is this sort of I think there's almost like a shift in the world where people and especially developers are thinking less about their work as a like very linear career ladder and instead trying to find like a sort of work-life balance where you can do a job on a contract or you can do a job for a couple of years, you know, take a break or change direction and just sort of pursue what is interesting to you. But the reason why I think this is more prevalent now than it's ever been before is just because of the rise of remote work. Like, frankly, when you're in a physical location, uh you have less options right and so you probably need to stay in your lane very much so to to find success over the long term as obviously things get more competitive with a smaller talent pool and so on you want to be a very strong you want to have a very strong specific offering but there's a there's far more like i don't know if this is a gender neutral term or not or if it just generally means what it says but like like journeyman right like you just sort of yeah go go about your business There are a couple mm-hmm. of questions. There are there are a couple of questions oh. in the chat. I I did know, I did know one from Elliot, but we were obviously talking a bit about education and and also then about the product and things. Um, but the question was basically it's from Abishak, and, and I I'm not sure if they were asking me since they quoted my video, but I I think it was a little bit in response to my video. And they asked, you know, do you think it's a good idea to take the CS50? Uh, course alongside Scrimber's end Career Path. So I've never done CS50, but I know of it. It's, it's, a, it's run by Harvard essentially, and it represents a syllabus for 10 weeks in which they teach you uh, different subjects, but I don't believe it's something you have to do uh, then and there. I think that might be an option, but you can mostly find the resources and take them at your own pace. Avishak is asking if you should consider doing that alongside Scrimber. I think in part because CS50 uh, is an introduction to computer science. Whereas Scrimba is not really to do with computer science specifically, it's more to do with the kind of practical you know, front-end skills you need to bring ideas and apps to life. I, I'm gonna consider it a little bit, but but what do you think, Bob? I think you might have a good perspective on sort of how to structure your learning. Like, is it conducive to do two things at once? Um, it might it might be that you don't know the specifics of CS fifty, which is understandable. Um, but generally, how do you feel about sort of taking on multiple courses at the same time?
2: Yeah, I I started CS fifty once a really long time ago, um, but I didn't get very far in it. And that was just my fault due to my schedule at the time. But um, I I don't know. It's so easy to fall into tutorial hell that, and for anyone listening that isn't sure what that means, it's where you're just watching tutorials and feel like you lear- you're learning something, but you're, because you're not actually practicing it or putting it into practice building a project or especially something that's interesting to you, then you don't actually internalize it and learn it. Um, it's so easy to fall into tutorial hell that just adding more tutorials on top of each other doesn't seem like the answer to me, but I also recognize that everyone learns differently. So, um, I think it's most important to gauge your progress and really be introspective on whether you are truly learning something and able to apply the thing that you're learning. Um, and I think it's universally important to just practice what you're what you're learning. So if you're just watching two tutorials or more on top of each other or in conjunction with each other, my guess is that you're not really learning uh, that much because you're just you're kind of washing your brain with the information, but you're not practicing anything. Um, if any of that makes sense, so I I, I would probably recommend against it, but there certainly could be people out there who learn well that way, I guess. It's not my way of learning. That's for sure. Like I, my, um, propensity, my, my, what I always am inclined to do is watch a tutorial and fall into tutorial hell. That's like my natural man. Like my, my regular state of being, unless I force myself otherwise. And so um i need to remind myself like if i'm watching something i need to be following along instead of just being like oh yeah i think i i think i kind of get it because otherwise the video or the course will end and i'll be like oh actually i need to watch that again because i didn't really catch any of that
0: and then how do you feel about this balance between computer science which could be considered Um, somewhat theoretical, although it may also lay the foundation for some very practical problem-solving. How do you feel about computer science versus learning more, uh, I guess, like practical, specific skills like JavaScript and designing apps and things like that? Like, is it beneficial as an aspiring developer? Um, Well, probably it is right on some level, but how do you feel about, like, the balance between the two?
2: Yeah, I think it's... um... I think it is a balance between the two. I, I, my paradigm has always been in my career in development. Um, my, my paradigm has always been to help people get a job in as junior developers, uh, I guess more specifically junior web developers. And there are, there are plenty of computer science, um, like topics that you would learn if you got a computer science degree that you would never or at least almost never use as a web developer, especially as a junior web developer. Um, and then once you're getting paid to do your job as a, as a web developer, it just opens up the world for you um, in terms of the education that you can get And and then it becomes, you know, it, it can become great to just learn for the sake of learning and to get better at computer science topics for the sake of, of increasing your knowledge even if it doesn't necessarily help you improve at your job directly like if you're not you know doing doing binary search algorithms in your job um, it exercises the problem solving part of your brain which then indirectly helps you in any kind of career that you that you might have Um, but again my my paradigm has always been helping uh, people brand new to tech get their first jobs as junior web developers, and so there's um, there's a small amount of computer science topics that are more theoretical that are helpful in that pursuit and a lot more on the practical side so my yeah my paradigm is uh probably skewed um, from some other people's but I, I think, in general, like I said, solving problems is really what people are paying you to do, and um, there's usually more than one way to solve a problem. So that's really a probably a more important focus, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a very tricky subject, I think, and there are historically people who would I think take views that sort of sounded right. But when you think about them a bit more critically, they're actually just gatekeeping essentially. So people say that you can only go so far as a programmer without understanding how memory allocation works. Or they say, oh, well, you shouldn't really use something unless you understand how it works under the hood. So don't use a data structure like a map unless you could implement it yourself. Yeah, okay, maybe. But then you could also say, don't use a database engine unless you could implement it yourself. Don't use a you know hashing algorithm if you couldn't implement it yourself. I personally did find it beneficial. I took this advice, actually. I took it to heart. And so often when I use something, I would then at least try and build a simple version. So if I use like a dependency injection framework, I would just build a simple one just to try and understand how it how it works. If I use a testing library, I would try and build my own testing library just to kind of understand how it works. And I, I think I did learn, but I'm also a good example of someone who took much longer when they needed to, to to find success as a junior dev. Like I sort of, I would call, I wouldn't say I got in tutorial hell as such because I was capable of working without a tutorial, um, but I just enjoyed learning. And that was like my, that was my drug. <laughs> like I just really liked learning. And, and in that sense, I didn't always focus my, I didn't always align my learning by a goal. And, and that's why I often encourage new developers to think a lot about your goal. Because if your goal is to become a junior developer, and leave your current job, for example, and get paid a reasonable salary, you know, you need to then look at the job ads in your local area or wherever you choose to work and, and sort of align by that. They won't even mention things like memory allocation, right, it's, it's rubbish. But, but maybe you do have aspirations to like, well, I, I don't know, like I'm actually really curious to hear everybody else's opinion about this. But but computing is all about layers of abstraction, isn't it? Like inside our computers, we have a bit of silicon. We have a processor. It, it only understands zeros and ones. Um, but that's impossible for a human to write. So we have this idea of machine code. Even machine code is really bloody hard and horrible to write so we have this idea of compilers and we convert languages like c which is also not the nicest thing to write into machine code right and then there's more abstractions yet all the way to using things like javascript um, which is execute well there, there are runtime languages like java and c sharp which have runtime environments and they take care of a lot of the memory allocation stuff for you then you have languages like javascript which also run within an engine but in the case of your browser right they're just li- it's literally contained to your web browser which is like your app is running within an app like it's it's very high level in that respect and so you know trying to learn everything all the way down to like how the binary stuff works like you know you don't you don't need to understand it to be productive or successful that's absolutely right what, one bit of advice I learned which I and I'll just pose this to you and see what you all think because i um, it is quite a hairy subject. Like I don't think there is a definitive answer by any stretch, but one idea I found quite satisfying is like, okay, if you're learning a particular part, a particular technology, you don't have to learn every part of the stack, but you just need to understand like one layer beneath it. That's probably sufficient because in your day-to-day work, and frankly, there's enough within the layer just below what you're doing to satisfy your curiosity forever, probably considering the breadth of computing in this day and age. If you learn just that layer beneath your stack, you know, that's something that maybe plausibly you do run into a problem with because there's, you know, this, this is close enough to what you're doing that some kind of error or problem or circumstance can be exposed one layer up. What 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 do you think of that that sort of philosophy? So say say for example you're building JavaScript applications, you don't you know you don't need to go so low as understanding binary and hexadecimal and and machine code and memory allocation and things like that, pointers. But but maybe you should understand you know how a HTTP request works and when you sort of enter a URL, as I said. Rising modern web applications is like building an app within an app. The layer below your app is actually the environment, right? So it could be Chrome or, or the V8 engine or something like that. And, and so maybe you should have a good understanding of like how HTTP requests work, you know, under the hood or what happens when you type a URL into the bar and you press enter. Cause that's not something you'll run into daily but it's close enough to what you're doing but it might help you to understand uh, in, in your sort of daily activities.
2: Yeah. So there's, there's a few thoughts that I had, um, because I, I mean, I know, I know that slippery slope is a logical fallacy, but if somebody is saying, you know, you, you should understand the, what, like how that's working under the hood before you use it is a slippery slope. You know, it's like, well, do they understand how everything all the way down works? And even if they do, is that actually helping them be productive? It, it made me think of um, woodworking. So in woodworking, there's kind of two, two I guess, approaches to it. There's uh, a set of woodworkers that do everything with hand tools, and it's all super manual. Um, you know, they're using plain saws, no power tools. Um, and then there's woodworkers who, who use power tools for, for most of the stuff. They'll still do some handwork, but... Um, A lot of power tools to, you know, to do everything. And when you're looking at a finished piece, um, you you really can't. I mean, assuming that both camps are doing their job well, you really can't tell the difference. Um, But one took 10 times longer to do it with hand tools. And they certainly get a sense of accomplishment and, and pride out of doing it completely from scratch or completely by hand. But it doesn't change the quality of the final product, um, you know, unless you're mass, you know, once you're mass producing with machines, then um, it might be different or using lower quality uh, materials. But the point is you, you don't have to understand how every little piece is working. I mean, when I'm driving my car, you know, say, I, say I'm a delivery driver, like I don't need to know exactly how my car is working to be good at my job. Um, and there's, you know, you, you can translate that to pretty much everything. I mean, cool. I don't, I don't personally understand how my computer is working. Um, it's crazy to think that I can see anything on my screen because, and then if you open the computer, it's just a bunch of metal, like it, that makes absolutely no sense to me, but that doesn't mean I can't be good at my job, you know? So it's a slippery slope fallacy to, to argue that, but, um, but it seems logical and, uh, there, like you said, there's there's a line, and I think it's really great if you're super interested in that, and it helps you um, feel pride in your craft to to truly understand everything all the way down. Um, but but it's not necessary, I would say, in a lot of cases.
0: Yeah, I like your point. Like, if you start wondering how a computer works and you open it up, that's already confusing enough. And say you do go down that slippery slope, eventually you'll have to understand how like Atoms work, and how the universe was created and stuff. If you keep stripping it back and back and back until until the big bang, essentially, or whatever, and that's fascinating. And and sort of maybe another. You gave me an idea when you spoke about you know being a delivery driver. Okay, maybe you don't need to understand how your how your car works. Um, but more to my point about learning the layer beneath yours, you know, if your tire bursts or you buckle your wheel, say, maybe you should understand at least where the tire needs changing or the wheel needs replacing, right? I would even argue you might not even need to actually know how to do it, but you should be aware that like, okay, this thing's gone wrong, right? Because if driving is like coding JavaScript in a sense, then if the wheel kind of, the tire bursts or something, that's sort of like going one layer below. And at least you know where to look, if not do it yourself.
2: Yeah. And, um, I mean, I've done, I've done my fair share of auto mechanics as well. And it's, it's a very similar process to, uh, to problem solving. All all problem solving is so similar Yeah. where you like try to reproduce the problem. And if you can reproduce the problem, then you figure out, you know, what, what are the things that might be causing it? And, um, it's, you know, it's the same with electric, electricity problems and plumbing problems, and it's all problem solving. If you watch. Uh, like a professional plumber do their job. It's they 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 approach their problem-solving process in a very similar way that I do when I'm debugging something in my code.
0: Hmm, that's, that's really interesting because I'm I'm very inclined to agree with you. I, I also wonder like, you know, I'm actually thinking of you, Frodo, because you, I mean, probably months and months and months ago, I'd be surprised if you remember, but we were talking about like baking, I think, or gardening. And and like I was saying that like when it comes to baking, or gar- I don't garden, but I have been known to bake and things. Like it's always, you don't really know what's happening in, inside the bread. Like you kind of just have to trust the process. And some people find that very comfortable and like they do it by ingenuity, right? And that's probably how like, some people's grandparents or grandmothers, like, bake bread or cakes or something. But, like, I'm a proper nerd, right? And I want to, like, measure the temperature and understand specifically how it's working. If I can't do that, I just, I don't know, it just doesn't suit my brain very well. And and maybe this is totally not related to your point, but Maybe you completely disagree with me. But I'm I'm wondering if, like, if you're a problem solver, that, then probably you see everything as a problem, right? And that's kind of the perspective we bring to the world. Like we see everything as a problem that can be solved or debugged or broken down into steps, and there are strategies to solve problems and things. I don't know if we have an opportunity to discuss this here because maybe we all think quite similarly and the programmers tend to want to look at problems that way, right? It's part of where the inclination comes from. Um, but do you think it's possible that like other people see the see these things differently and that for them it's like a totally different sort of ball game.
3: I think so. <laughs> We're different people, very much so. So it's, uh, cool. some people like uh, like to see iterations and how things progress and learn about it. Some people do not care and just want to get back to whatever they're interested in. I see that in my friends who are very different than I am. And uh, I think it's definitely the case. And most programmers come from a more practical, logical, like problem solver. Inclination, I think.
0: Like this, this annoying habit of asking why, right? That's how I would summarize it.
3: That said, me and you are very different. So I'm, I'm not that interested in the correct temperature and stuff. I'm more played by ears. But I'll do the process a lot of times. There's a saying in gardening, which I do more of, and it's, you know, a good gardener is somebody who's killed more plants.
2: <laughs>
0: Yeah, right. And and the the best photographer is the one who's taking thousands of photos, sort of thing. Like a thousand, take a thousand photos, there'll be you might end up with only one good one, sort of thing. Like you, you build your intuition, don't you? I think is the point. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Wow. Well, I do I do like this chat. I mean, it's been a bit um, fragmented and rambly, but hopefully it was interesting to people listening as well. I, I don't know. Like I I just think that. It, there's, there's a bit of nuance in what we just spoke about. And if I were to summarize, I would say that there are two ways of doing something. That there is the the fast way and there is the fun way. And if all you do, all you care about is just like solving the problem ASAP and like you don't care about anything else, then, then yeah, go for it. Um, but probably you have, you're probably programming for reasons other than just like, Yeah, like there's lots of jobs you can do to make money and work remotely and things like there's probably a thing you genuinely enjoy about it. And maybe you are a curious person. And so maybe you find that balance behind doing things efficiently, but also, for example, satisfying your curiosity um or, or just enjoying learning about the history of computing for example like that's not something that appeals to me like i have very little interest in, in history actually um but for others, it's something that they love to sort of read up about and understand the origin of computing and all the rest of it um but i don't think it would make them faster programmers necessarily like i just think it's interesting to them well, that's all we really have time for today. I mean, are there any sort of uh, closing remarks anybody wants to make before I, before I close out properly? Any last thoughts or?
1: Final thought from me, uh, just uh, on the sort of the last bit of conversation about um, understanding what's going on underneath the hood and of, of the layers going down. Just a sort of practical point, I think, in job interviews, they absolutely love to hear that you do know, you know, at least an overview of what's going on. And that's why, like, I don't know, I try to encourage just a little bit of research into it. Not a, a full in-depth understanding, but, you know, just just enough to to make you sound really impressive in an interview. That's good.
0: That is a fantastic point and a brilliant note to end on. Thank you, Tom, and thank you very much to everybody who tuned in and has listened. Hopefully, we'll see you in the near future because we don't just host the weekly town hall, mind you. We do a weekly space every Thursday on our Twitter accounts. So you just need to head to the Scrimber Twitter accounts and you'll find news most likely about upcoming Twitter spaces where we speak with expert guests normally about various subjects relating to learning to code and finding success as a new developer. Of course, you can also check out the podcast and our YouTube channel, ever sorts of weekly content, um, and until then, and maybe next Thursday when we when we're hosting another town hall, uh, we'll, we'll we'll see you then. I guess. Thanks a lot for tuning in, everybody. Bye now.
2: Thanks. Bye bye. See you
0: Cheers, all. guys.
2: Thanks for writing.